Welcome back, Crack fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It's been an action-packed past six weeks for us tennis fans. Of course, we were all so excited just to have tennis back in our lives at the start of August with the kickoff of the World Team Tennis season. From there, things really got rocking and rolling. We saw a brand new WTA event in Lexington, Jennifer Brady emerging as a first-time champion, of course. We also got to see a couple of events on the clay in Palermo, in Prague. And then we were into the action in New York. Three weeks of such exciting tennis, of course, Naomi Osaka, Victoria. Azarenka delivering us the goods on the women's side, on the men's side. What a topsy-turvy couple of weeks. It felt like Novak Djokovic was going to roll through another undefeated event in 2020. He wins the Western Southern Open, looks awfully good through the first week of the U.S. Open, and then, of course, he gets defaulted from the event, and in the end, it's Dominic Team emerging as the first-time Grand Slam champion on the men's side since Marin Cilic did it at the 2014 U.S. Open now. With all of that in mind, it would have been understandable if some of you fans needed just a week to rest, to recuperate. But of course, in this condensed 2020 season, the action rolled on and we just got finished with our first Masters Premier Mandatory event on uh, of the 2020 season. The action in Rome finally complete. Novak Djokovic taking another title, seemingly uh, the only thing that can slow him down right now himself. Uh, and Simona Halp winning another event herself. She emerges as the women's singles champion. Uh, Of course, again, that leads us to the action in the French Open, which starts in less than a week. It's crazy to say, but so many players, so many of our favorite pros back on court competing against one another for the year's third Grand Slam title. Now, you know, all of that in mind, that's a lot of action. And of course, we have covered all of that on the mini break podcast. We did not have any mini breaks this past weekend, but rest assured on today's mini break, I went through all of the action we saw in Rome, talked about my biggest takeaways, you know, people like Casper Ruud, Denis Shapovalov continuing to shine here in 2020 on the women's side. Carolina Pliskova, you know, Simona Halep playing so well, but a couple of others who have clearly stood out and, you know, all of that covered on that podcast here today. We have a really fun episode for all of you listeners. We are joined by a returning champion here at Cracked Rackets, and of course, you usually hear him on our mini break podcast for our Technique Tuesdays with our friends at My Tennis HQ. He's a former UCLA standout. Out, but most importantly for today's podcast, he's the hitting partner of your 2020 U.S. Open Women's Singles Champion, Carousel, joining us today to talk about his time in New York, what it was like to live in that bubble, how it affected the training he, Naomi, the entire team did, the atmosphere, you know, how it differs from years past. And then, of course, we talk about Naomi's outstanding level these three weeks in New York, how she managed to capture the title, what it looked behind the scenes, the injuries she was dealing with, what her practice formats even looked like, uh, and then what this win means for her career moving forward, because obviously at 22 years old, she's got three Grand Slam titles, and that doesn't happen very often in tennis history. So uh, we talk about all of that and more. We also talk about what it meant, you know, Naomi Osaka, of course, it, it gets lost in the three weeks, so unfortunately, but the just the monumental move she made stepping away from the Western Southern Open semifinal match to uh, in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, what that was like for, you know, career and, you know, the members of the Osaka team, how they supported her through that decision and just what it meant to them to see her take this big stride off the court. You know, again, I I keep saying this, but the only thing more impressive than her talents on it is what she's doing with her platform off the court. Uh, But it's a fantastic conversation. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. I will just quickly add the reason we are able to have these conversations, of course, because of the support we get from our friends at 
Midwest Sports and Aerobarn. You know this by now. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. And I mean, you go to MidwestSports.com, you use the promo code CR15, you're going to get 15% off your order. You're going to get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, you're going to get a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Uh, They have everything you need, strings, shoes, clothing. Their experts can help you find the gear that is going to best accentuate your game as well. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. Of course, you're going to want to feel good as well. And what we have learned nowadays, it's so important that tennis players, even when you're playing recreationally, take care of your fitness, take care of your nutrition, do all the things right off the court to get your uh, best performance out of it. And it's very easy to do. And it starts with our friends at Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And of course, best of all, it comes with a podcast, our Getting to the Point episodes, focusing on nutrition and fitness and its importance in the modern game. So many great guests. This past week, we had David Witt, who of course is currently coaching Jess Pagula, one of the most successful players of that New York three-week stretch. So uh, be sure to go check that out on this Cracked Interviews podcast platform, and be sure to go support our friends at Aerobar. Use our promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order as well. But with that in mind, let's get to my conversation with the one and only Carousel. Joining us on the podcast today for the first time in far too long, you of course know him as a former standout for the UCLA men's tennis team, one of the founders of our friends over at My Tennis HQ, but perhaps most importantly right now, the hitting partner of the 2020 US Open women's singles champion, Naomi Osaka, Carousel. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? What's up? Yeah, it's been a while. I'm doing good, man. How are you? I am doing well. It's another day in paradise for me, but I cannot imagine what you must be feeling. Three weeks in New York, trapped in that USD bubble. It was probably longer than three weeks, and, you know, we were chatting a little bit before this. You're back in L.A. now, but, you know, four days later, five days later, how are you feeling? Has the hangover worn off? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't really worn off. It's more like I'm back to my real, real life. (laughs) Uh, here in LA but yeah it was a it was a wild time there and uh, you know we were luckily uh, as far as we could in the bubble you know what I mean at the end of the day it gets tiring but you know you want to be you want to be there for as as long as possible you end up doing it so um, yeah it was a wild couple weeks there was a uh, you know a lot of things happened on and off the court and but we took home the title or she took home the title so uh it was really really nice to be a part of that no I think it's fair to say we and I think it's fair to say you also got a lot of love I mean the amount of social media photos who is that handsome man in Naomi Osaka's box and they were like who the, who uh you know the blonde one they're like no the one sitting you know Wim Facet who's Wim Facet but then they were also looking at you um so I'm sure that had to have felt good just to see the stash on screen and obviously it was so cool to see the level Naomi was playing and I have a list of questions I will try my best not to get you in trouble today but just in general 
Carroll to watch Naomi uh, through that performance to practice with her day in, day out, knowing what she was going through with her hamstring. Uh, how impressed are you by her performance? Are you surprised at all to see her walk away undefeated from New York and with another title? Uh, no, not surprised by her performance. I, I mean, obviously controlling winning or and losing, it's, you know, it's not necessarily something that uh, we can control, but just in general, her performance was good. I obviously was there for all the preseason work and, or I guess pre-US Open work, and I knew she was playing well. Um, the biggest thing was just, you know, controlling the emotions and obviously the body not breaking down. She had a little bit of a, uh, a an issue with the, with the hamstring but at the end of the day you know i think everyone was a little bit banged up um and you know she managed i think to even get healthier through the u.s open if anything like it wasn't like uh you know the hamstring fully you know got worse so you know again surprising uh wouldn't say surprising but, but like you know, we know her quality is just really managing, you know, everything else around it. And we know she has a shot at winning it. And I think by, you know, the time the draw opened up a little bit, Patra lost, a few big players lost. I was like, I think she's kind of hers to, to lose it now. Uh, and, you know, she did a great job actually going out and taking it. Yeah, no, it was so impressive to watch, and I have so many questions again to ask you about this U.S. Open, but let's start with the obvious one. She loses that first set 6-1 to Vika, and I mean, Vika is just rocking and rolling. She did it in sets 2-3 and three against Serena. She beat a really in-form Elise Mertens 1-0, and oh, I think, in the quarterfinals. That was just ridiculous, and, you know, she runs out to an early lead against Naomi, and then, you know, obviously around, you know, two all in that second set, you can just see Naomi flip the switch and she did that a bunch of times throughout the three weeks in New York but to see her do it in the final to see her raise her level I mean again from your perspective I have to ask how surprised were you to see her flip that match around um I wasn't surprised that she flipped it around I was more like is she gonna figure out how to to flip it around in time so the biggest thing is uh, we we know Vika's forehand is weaker, the backhand is rock solid, and um, and I think she you know went in a little bit too scared of the backhand side of Vika. If you watch the first set and a half, she only played to Vika's forehand, like either middle or or you know down the line with the backhand to avoid that pattern of going you know backhand to backhand, and Vika probably kind of expected that and she she was just rolling her forehand side to side to side to side and Naomi was never taking control of the points I was like what is happening why are we not you know attacking her backhand um like why well, we shouldn't be this scared of her backhand because what is she gonna do hit down the line off a huge back from Naomi and if she does Naomi's forehand was an absolutely joke the entire tournament I couldn't believe it I was like what is hap-? like her forehand was ridiculously good so I was like we'll take those chances and the moment she noticed that she could go big to Vika's back and, um, and then she could spread the court with both wings. Then that was it. Like I was like, no, there's no way she loses unless it was just like one of those that it will go Vika's way somehow. Uh, but besides, like just in the quality, like this, the moment she like got that break from two zero and then two all, and then she started like you know just disrespecting Vika's back and I was like, okay, it's over. This, this is it. Like there, you don't have to do much. 
No, I mean, for Naomi, the big thing, all tournament that she could turn to, really, the entire three weeks in New York was just how good she was on the first serve. Even when she was only in that, you know, 52 to 58% of the first serves going in, she was routinely winning 80% or higher of her first serve points. I think I had that number. It was like 81.5 through the first six matches. And, you know, to Vika's credit, she was 16 of 17 on first serves through that first set. Uh, She was just so accurate with everything she wanted to do. She, you know, Again, Naomi wasn't hurting her, so she said, okay, if you want to make this a grind, now we're playing my game. But for Naomi, you're so right. The way just all match she turned to the or all tournament, she turned to the serve and the forehand and just found her way. You know, it happened routinely. Like, I feel like the most nervous you must have been during the two weeks was during that first round match against Misaki Doi, where it was like, okay, she's injured with the hamstring. This was a pretty quick turnaround. Now we're a little bit worried. And of course, she, you know, she won that first set 6 2, but, you know, even in the matches where she dropped sets outside of Azarenka, it was, you know, always second sets. She seemed to come out with her foot on the pedal, and I feel like that's such a credit to her preparation. That's a credit to her, you know, just, again, being in the zone these entire three weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, she has, you know, an average probably 10 miles per hour more than all girls like you know and that's not going that's not going fully she can probably be in the 118 all the time so she has such such an advantage that and her forehand was just lights out good the entire two weeks and not to say the backhand wasn't it was just more like man the forehand is looking good right now and so anyone could go big there and she would just absolutely nail it back so again, yeah, the first first round match, I didn't we weren't too worried about the, the injury. I think like her attitude wasn't great on the first match. I think you know she was getting upset about too many things and almost like not not engaging enough. Almost like oh, too big for the moment kind of thing. And we you know we had a little bit of a talk with her afterwards, and I think she she really emphasized her, her attitude every every pre-match meeting is like, Hey, I'm going to have a good attitude on the court, you know, whatever happens, but I'm going to have a good attitude. And, and I think from the second match on, you could see that against Georgie, she like step, she stepped on the court on a mission. Uh, and, and we were like, okay, we this is good. And then, mm-hmm. you know, from that point on, you could tell she was really, she was really on it. Like, and, and those are the things that win slams, right? The things, the, the mental side of it like she has the quality but you know if the mental doesn't follow it and it did and we could see she was fighting she was competing she was getting to shots that like you know there there are matches just she just doesn't go for it and she gets a little bit like eh you know mm-hmm. what i mean so mm-hmm. um so yeah it was just like a very um you know you could see that that the mental thing lighting up and she was becoming just better and better mentally and the game just kept following as well and it was just uh, it was just awesome to watch yeah absolutely and you know, I want to get to your role. I want to get to your takeaways from, of course, that event. But last question for you on Naomi. It's something we've kicked around on a couple of podcasts recently. You look at her now, obviously, three Grand Slam titles by age 22. That's just so, so impressive. And you start to think, okay, what is she going to be capable of doing? And it's funny, there was talk going into this U.S. Open about, oh, is the winner going to have an asterisk? And like, just the way the women's events, both in the Western and Southern U.S. Open, unfolded, it's like, absolutely. Absolutely not. We saw, you know, Osaka during this time period, and yeah, six of the top 10 women weren't there, but 
you start to look at the women she beat. You know, she beats Kanteve twice. She beats Mertens. She beats Mukova. She beats Yastremska. Obviously, beating Vika, Jen Brady, Shelby Rogers. All of these players playing so well right now. And so you just start yeah. to look at it. It's hard to deny she right now. I just you know people will say Bianca Andreescu. That's fine. I just you got to be healthy as well to be considered to do this. And I just I still have too many questions about Andreescu. But anyways, that I'm, I'm off topic here. My question to you is, you know, you look through tennis history and you know if you want to be considered a top 10 player of all time what you do you win eight or more slams you look on the men's side only eight people have done it you look on the women's side only seven people have done it in the open era that's the the number where now you know you're a top 10 player in your respective you know tennis history you just are by that accomplishment and Naomi to have three by 28 by age 22 again I was doing the math let's say she's really good for the next 10 years and there's no reason to think she can't be with that serve with that forehand how easy she makes things look you know that's that's over the next 10 years that's 20 grand slams on hard court she would have to win five of the 20 a quarter of them that feels realistic you know we have friends at DraftKings, so let's say the over under seven and a half which way are you going Carew? oh man that is tough um, i know it's a tough one sorry to put you on the it's, spot it's tough it's just tough it'll be fine because it's tough because i mean i think you know, you don't know who's coming, you know, new generations that are coming. Um, but And there are you know, so many as, talented as a, women right now. There are talented women, but the, it, I, I, I've seen what Naomi does on the court, and talented women can't even, like, like they, they only can only play as good as Naomi lets them uh, when she's on. So mm-hmm. even the most talented one, if she is on – um, they can really do much. They can really use their talent um, that much. So I would say, yes, Andrescu, it, it's up there with, like, you know, I think level of talent and just in a different way, but she's never healthy. So, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so I, realistically, and I think, I mean, I don't think she can only win on hard. I think, you know, if she wants to to really get better on grass and on clay, I don't think it's going to be, she can do the Sharpova, you know, like the, that she didn't think she could be a good on, on clay and end up being good on clay. Um, so I think realistically, uh, over seven and a half is more than achievable. And I don't, I don't even think, I think it could be way earlier than what, 10 years. It can be in, in six yeah, no. I mean, so the reason why I only go to the hard courts gets back to the depth right now in women's tennis. Again, there are so many talented players. You know, you never want to disrespect an Ashley Barty, who is still only 24 freaking years old. Sophia Kennan, we just saw her win a slam in Australia. She's 21. Uh, obviously, Andrescu's won a slam recently. And then there are still players, you know, uh, like Svitolina or like a Simona Halep or even a Karolina Pliskova. I mean, a Patrick Vitova, Arena Sabalenka. I go on and on and on. Players who are ready to put their name, again, on the Grand Slam winners list. And I just think some of those players on other surfaces right now are better than Naomi. But, you know, even if she misses, let's say, three of those due to injury or whatever it may be, I mean, 
she'd have to win five more in the next 17 hardcourt slams. It's just like, I think the answer is yes. Like, I think over the next 10 years, there are going to be at least three more occasions where you just can't touch Naomi for those two weeks because I think you put it perfectly. When she plays her best, it doesn't really matter what the opponent's doing. You're on Naomi's terms, and she does that at the highest level. Her serve is right up there with Serena Williams, and I don't say that lightly as the best serve in women's tennis history. It's that effective. Yeah, it's that effective. I think she... She, she does really well with the, the, the spins. She almost plays a Ken Mouse game with the serve. It's like she doesn't really have patterns. She just kind of serves when she, where she wants to serve. And she she just trusts it. She trusts that she's going to serve the matches out. And she It's almost like a, you know, like a guy in that way, like Federer. You know what I mean? That like he just gets the break and he knows he's going to serve the set out. So he just kind of like, you know, almost like relaxes a little bit. And I think she does that to a certain extent. Uh, her second serve improved a lot from, you know, what I saw in Australia and the work we did here. Uh, very, very good second serve, I thought, this 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 two weeks. And, yeah, it can be more consistent. I think she her percentages weren't great, but she she seems to hit them on the right times, which is which is nice. Um, and at the end of the day, yeah, I, I just think that it will happen at least three, four more times um, before she turns what 25 26 that she will be untouchable for two weeks and you know from what i've seen the moment the it, it, the experience i got is that obviously the mental side is what ends up taking you to the slam that that, that you are able to manage the day that you're not you're a little bit more nervous the, the day that you're just not feeling as good whatever it is and you get through those days and you get confidence from getting through those days and the moment that, you know, you're just fully on and you're in a big moment, um, you know, she's obviously different that way that she can handle it and she handles it so well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see it. I, I, I've seen enough matches by now that I'm like, when she's on, I'm like, well, you know, what, what are you going to do on the other side? I don't, I don't care who you are uh, um, and what are you going to do? And she still has room to improve the return a little bit and, and, and all the sorts of things that she can still improve. I, I don't think she's not nearly is in, in like full form, you know what I mean? And, and I just, I just don't think, um, I think like in the next like three to four years, I mean, if she keeps that this progression, it's going to be really hard to beat her. Yeah, and we all look forward to seeing that. And of course, I have millions more questions. Some of them could be Naomi Osaka centric. And, you know, I, of course, we are, some of the questions I'm sure our Crack Records fans would love to hear answered. What are you guys doing in the buildup? What do those training sessions look like? You know, what are you honing in on? But I don't want to, you know, force you to give away all of the tricks of the trade. So we're going to throw those aside. I may come back to them at the end. But I want to talk about you, Karu. I want to talk about your role during these three weeks, what it looks like to be the hitting partner for a Naomi Osaka, you know, because she's playing so many different types of players. She's playing someone like a Jen Brady, who we joked around via text uh, during the tournament. I love you, Carew, but I think she's got a better forehand than you. And I think you even tweeted, like, how good would I be with Jennifer Brady's forehand? And so, you know, you're doing... Yeah, exactly. You're doing that. You're doing Shelby Rogers impressions. You're doing Annette Conteve, Marta Katsio, Camilla Georgie. Damn, you had to hit the ball hard. You were swinging away. But, you know, what are you trying to do day in, day out to get the most out of Naomi in practice? Um, Honestly, like, um, my job, once we're on the road, becomes a little bit easy. Um, Naomi 
doesn't really hit that much um, once the tournament starts. Like before, leading up to the Western Southern, um, like we hit a lot there. But then once the tournament starts, I mean, we didn't even hit the off days during the Open. Um, so uh, it was really just That's the warm crazy. Yeah, every few days. Well, obviously, we're saving her hamstring. And again, she's confident and she, you know, she she just she's a confident girl. So it's like we, we you you have to be as a coach. Now I'm not the coach, but as the coach, you need to, you know, play to the what, you know, what's going to make the, the player peak. Um, so I did. I think a lot of my, you know, my role, you know, it was. I wouldn't really change too much the way I'd hit because it was just warm up and warm up is not that long, but um, definitely like definitely the serve, you know, the serve patterns um, just like, Hey, the second serve goes, goes a little bit more this way, or she doesn't kick it as much. She doesn't, um, you know, the second serve moves a little more into the body. Like, like, you know, Vika's second serve, it doesn't kick. He like kind of, slices into the body every time so just like you know i'll talk to to the coach and be like hey like what are the serving ones the p- patterns things like that but i did a lot of that and then um yeah I would, you know against Jenny, i try to add a little more top spin but again it's such a short short little hit that you know what i mean she's not really too worried about that it, to be honest i think uh, you know our goal as the team is for her to step in and not adjust to anyone make the other player adjust to her so you know that's that's about it i think you know we we look at a lot of um you know there are stats for things there there are all these kind of things but you know try to keep it nice and simple and just let her you know intuition take over a little bit Mm-hmm. No, obviously it was working and, you know, it would be dumb to say, were you rooting for Jen Brady, a fellow Bruin? But I believe you guys overlapped in school. How cool was it for you to see Jen Brady out on that stage for a semifinal? It was really nice. I mean, I wasn't rooting for her at that at that point, but I was rooting <laughs> for her to get there uh, to the semis. I knew that was like the, the furthest she could go without beating Naomi, so... Um, I mean, just watching them, that was one of the highest quality matches I've ever watched in person, men or women. I was like, what is happening here? It was like first ball tennis. They were just hitting. They were just hitting winners left and right. And, you know, it, it just became like who is going to be the most aggressive and, and, you know, have the most you know, courage during the whole thing. Like it was really crazy. Just like watching like, the level was just, I mean, they were hitting massive shots. And we thought, you know, we thought Jenny's forehand, as good as it is, if we could give it a little more, you know, just a, the more Naomi sauce to it, we thought, hey, maybe <laughs> uh, maybe she's going to have to back up a little bit. But she didn't. She just hit pound for pound so well. We just like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was nice to see. And again, we overlapped in school, me and Jenny. It was nice to see her do well and, I know obviously her her you know hard work is paying off and you know whatever she she moved to not moved but has been working with the German coach and, um, and everything so I think uh, you know it was really nice it was nice for college tennis and and you know again it was so such high quality tennis that um, I was really impressed. Yeah, no, I mean, she was incredible. And, you know, again, it sucked for that that semifinal and even the Vika Serena semifinal as well that night. And then, of course, 
the women's final that it wasn't got you know that they didn't get to play in front of a crowd but it was also very cool for us as fans to get to see all these players watching one another's matches of course that's where their sweeps were so some of it was by necessity but still just cool to see everyone hanging out on the ground curious from your perspective um I believe you've been to the U.S. Open before when it's been under normal circumstances so for you or you know at minimum you were in Australia this year but you know what was it like to be at a U.S. Open with no fans what was that experience like from you know the player the team perspective um from the team I think honestly um wasn't besides I think besides the playing without fans I think players were actually a little bit more relaxed to be honest like because you don't have to worry about being escorted to courts and and all these fans and all the things everyone was just walking around freely like the I guess the site is ours so we can do whatever <laughs> um the 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 suite was nice was a really nice touch from um you know the the organization to think that went through and we were able to to you know order food there and watch the matches there uh, and kind of keep our distance from everyone else because you know we obviously don't want to mingle with with everyone and you know because of covid so you know it was really nice i mean they did a, a tremendous job and was was it weird yeah probably i mean i'm i never played in front of a bunch of fans so you know i, I wouldn't know but you know besides that i think everyone was actually a little bit more relaxed um, so it, it, I can can say it wasn't it was a you know a, a really really weird experience. It was more like about tennis. Everyone was watching. More players were watching uh, their players play. It was actually kind of interesting. So it was fun. Mm-hmm. To that point, do you think the quality of play, because there were also coming off of a five and a half month hiatus, right? Some of these players, such as a Jen Brady or a Jess Pagula, they played world team tennis. They played a bunch of exhibitions. There are other you can turn to for examples of that as well. But, um, you know, I thought the quality of tennis was really high. I thought we were going to see more injuries, more retirements than we did on the men's side, you know. We saw some performances where someone put together a really five good five-set match and they weren't able to bounce back the next day, case in point, Andy Murray. But, you know, in general, yeah. I thought the level of play was really high. What it, You know, you were on the ground. You were seeing it all. What would you think? Um, I thought it was pretty good, too. I mean, I watched, I watched a good amount. I was watching. I was trying to get, us, get out as much as I could to watch. And, yeah, I, I I'm, can say anything bad about the level i think uh, if anything I, th- I think once djokovic was out um i think some of the guys that were supposed to win kind of got a little bit tight um so you know a lot of matches they played were, were very you know you could tell there, there were nerves involved uh but at the same time yeah it was wasn't great to watch but you know it was relatable it's like okay these guys are human i think we've gotten spoiled watching three guys win grand slams like they're winning the 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 club event on weekend. So it's like, you know, this time these guys, they knew that they needed to do something. Um, They had the chance to do something. So they got a little bit nervous, but you know, it was relatable to a certain extent. And uh, overall, I mean, I think everyone came in pretty sharp and hungry. So I think that made it fun. No, I, I completely agree with you. And obviously, you know, the Djokovic uh, default was not something any of us could have anticipated in, 
I can only imagine what the after effect was on the grounds in the immediate aftermath of that. And I know you guys, I believe, were at private housing, so you weren't in the hotels mingling the way some of the others were. But just again, this was spring break, it felt like, for tennis players. And so many of them, I love all of you, but, you know, homeschooled or didn't go to college, all this different thing. So you put them all in one hotel room. It's like, oh, my God, what's about to happen any oh, yeah. fun stories, tidbits you want to share, or just in general, what was the vibe of that for the players? Because, yeah, usually they're all staying at the same hotels, but they can go out in the city. They can go do their own things, have their own parties, and, you know, whatever, uh, be in their own little world. But that obviously wasn't the case given the bubble, given the health and safety guidelines that were in place. You know, what was the, that, what was the feeling in that respect for the players on the grounds? Um, honestly, like, I don't, I, I'm not, not going to lie. I don't know any stories. Um, <laughs> I can say, um, you know, cause I, again, we were at the hotel, so I'm not sure if anything happened. I, I, I would assume after, you know, a week or a week and a half that no one could get out and people were losing and, you know, bar was open downstairs. I'm sure <laughs> stuff happened. Um, but overall, I think even in the hotel, they did a good job. There was like outdoor you know, stuff to do and watching matches. And um, I think like, yeah, I, I, what there's, you know, that side of tennis players also like, it's not like they're the most sociable bunch, you know what I mean? You have your little yeah. group, but especially on the women's side, it can get a little chippy out, chippy out there. So um, at the end of the day, I think everyone was like, it was weird because I feel like no one had worked in so long and then you come back and you have to play a slam and everyone was like, what the hell is going on? So uh, just managing <laughs> that was uh, interesting. But overall, I mean, I think everyone did a pretty good job, you know, you know, playing. And I mean, there was like a few drama fits here and there, but overall, I think it was fun. No, for sure. I mean, obviously, I, I, I will ask you about the testing in a little bit, but to your point, yeah, I mean, Look, I'm not going to throw any names out there because I just think that's who cares what they're doing in their personal lives. But I will say this. I heard some stories. To your point, two weeks cooped up, people got frisky. Um, And hopefully we will get a new generation of power tennis couples out of it because I feel like in the end that's what we all want. Um, But, yeah. I don't want that anymore because that was one one Monfisa Vitalina thing is enough, dude. Let's let's keep that. Well, the problem is – more Instagram start coming out, we're just going to delete Instagram fully. Yeah, no, the more competition for my tennis HQ and cracked rackets. But no, I mean, look, my concern is that if there are too many power couples whose kids obviously go on to play tennis, is that the average Joes, like my kids, are just athletically, because of me, they're just, they're screwed. Like, who's going to win? The product of Monfils and Svitolina or a Gruskin? I think we all know that answer, and it's not yeah, the Gruskin. Yeah, that's athletic baby right there. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And so, like, yeah, I, that would be my only concern. But, yeah, I, I can only imagine how fun it was. I keep joking around. If they would have let a reporter, just one reporter, and – you know, the USTA, um, I don't think they would have ever allowed me, but they should have allowed someone just be in there. Let them plant themselves at the hotel bar every night, and then afterwards, you know, they ghostwrite the book. And then there's the book of here's what it was life in the bubble during this 2020 U.S. Open, and it's a bestseller. I'm reading it. Like, I know everyone in the tennis community is reading it. 
that that would have been yeah that would have been really funny actually yeah no believe me cracked rackets was ready to put in the bid but all right some rapid fire questions for you about life in the bubble just some fun here who is the player you watch the most of outside of naomi um weirdly jj wolf (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i watched a lot of jj like i always thought like he always cracks me up playing for some reason um, I watched a lot of JJ, a lot of, um, I watched a lot of Novak. I, well, you know, as much as I could in the first few days, but yeah, I watched a lot of Novak as well. Mm-hmm. Were you front row for Cressy? Front row? I was like front row on my couch, not watching it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I watched the guy like he put it in on, um, I was there for the first set and then we left and I was like, Jesus, his serve is just ridiculous. Yeah, no. I mean, he was so good, and it's so funny that you mentioned JJ as the guy. I, I'm fast. Yeah, I mean, it, the, I, it is funny because you know he's just like this ball of muscle, and like there's a moment not to get weird where he took off his shirt and he's like jacked, and you're like, wait, what? Like I did not yeah. expect this, and I mean, then he the way he swings at the forehand, of course, you're like, oh yeah, I guess that does make sense. But yeah, I mean, he's on his way to the top 100. Yeah, he is. I mean, I have no doubt. So he's just going to sharpen up a couple other, a couple of things in his game. But yeah, he's he's, he's going to. Mm-hmm. Who was a player maybe you enjoyed watching more than you expected? Someone who just caught your eye and you're like, all right, I'm going to watch this match. Uh, Medvedev. Um, I watched yeah. him play Marcos, and then I watched him play a few other matches, and it's just like, it's like really interesting the way he's able to control the match, and and you know the way it's just such a different you know tenant. It's just different tennis than we are used to, and then what pe- people are, you know, um, teaching to almost to a certain extent. Like you don't teach how, how to play the tennis like that, and he's just found his way of playing that works, that makes everyone uncomfortable, and he controls the way the match goes. Um, he's just always controlling the tempo, baiting you into doing certain things that you know he wants you to do, and it's like a, a Ken Mouse game all the time, and it's not aesthetically pleasing to watch is just like he just somehow <laughs> just makes it work and is actually impressive yeah no i mean the guy is just a, yeah he he's a beast and by the way great u.s open for the bruins again between mackie marcos um obviously cressy jen brady you it was i'm sure i'm missing someone i'm sure there was another bruin on site that i'm uh forgetting i think that was but... like a double uh that was the doubles guy what's his face um. Yeah, it it's a little, escaping. Um. He he plays with the crazy outfits. Um. That's a lot of them. Again, that that, that yeah. But the point yeah. is, it was a great tournament for the Bruins. A great tournament Roger. for college tennis. Oh, there it is. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah, a great tournament for college tennis in general. And you know, I'm sure it was fun, but I'm sure there was also some some weird things. Like for you, what was the meal you ordered the most in New York? Man, by the end, we couldn't even look at the food anymore. But um, <laughs> I had, well, in at the site, I had a lot of veggie burgers. Um, really? Yeah, they had this, like, amazing veggie burger. It wasn't, like, a plant-based burger. It was just a veggie patty. So it's like, it wasn't trying to be meat, but it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I had a lot of that. Um, and then at the... At the house, a lot of sushi. A lot of I had way too much sushi and Mediterranean. 
I try to I try to keep it nice and clean. I had a few a few you know a few day here days here and there. I got some pizza because in New York, and uh, a lot of tequila. I mean, you're in a bubble, man. By six thirty, I was like, well, I guess it's time to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah I heard a lot bit. of that. I heard there was a lot of gambling as well. Yeah, I'm sure it was a lot of gambling. I don't know, but like I just I was yeah I was watching a lot of basketball, just watching basketball at home and drinking tequila. It was pretty nice. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sure, and you know, listening to Crack Rackets podcasts, uh, all three things that pair well together. Um, no, but uh, yeah, I, I can only imagine. What was the go-to Netflix show for you during your time in New York? Go-to Netflix show, because there had to have been one. Oh man, I actually like I watched very little. What I did though, I I I, I watched The Boys, uh, which you know came out recently on on Amazon Amazon Prime, the second season. Uh, and I've been watching. It's this ridiculous show, absolutely ridiculous. But you remember Jimmy Tatro? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know the real bros from Simi Valley. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, dude! I I I knew of it, but I never really got into it. And I was dying laughing watching that thing. It's ridiculous, but it's so accurate. It's like <laughs> if you live in LA too, you're like, oh my god, this is uh, like painfully accurate. It is so funny. I got very into it. Like, so I watched like all seasons, but I actually weirdly didn't have much to watch. I rewatched stuff, but um, I feel like I didn't really get into anything new. No, that's, I mean, see, again, for me, the problem is I don't live in LA. So some of that stuff goes over my head, but like, uh, you know, another show I'm late to, but in that same vein, have you ever watched Schitt's Creek? And I don't have to bleep that because that's just the name of the show. Everyone keeps everyone keeps telling me it's like really good, but uh, I I need to like get get through like a few more episodes. I feel like I haven't gotten into it, but once I do, I think I'm gonna like it. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, American Pie. You know the dad with the thick eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. yeah Gene Levin, Levinson, whatever uh, is his name, Mister Levinson. But he's the the dad in this show too, and it's his real son as this. It's it's so funny. It's very very funny. So definitely yeah, put no, it on I, the I, list. I know the premise. Before I went, I was like, I, would, I had just finished this show. It's a Canadian show called Ladder Kenny, and it's so <laughs> funny, dude. That's a, fun, that's a show everyone should watch. It's on Hulu. It's like unbelievably funny. Mm-hmm. No, I mean. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, yeah, no, 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 we got through the show portion of the podcast. That's good. I planned in time for that. Um, you know, to get to a serious one here, a couple more, and then, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I'm sure you are still hungover from all of that tequila. But, you know, uh, a huge moment. Two really, I think, inflection points in tennis history occurred during that three weeks in New York. One, obviously, you you knew was coming. You were a part of, or you know, you had insight into the decision and what that decision meant to Naomi. Uh, her decision to uh, choose not to play in the semifinal, I believe that was on Thursday or maybe it was Wednesday. Who knows? All those days ago, but in solidarity following the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake in uh, Wisconsin and. You know, on that day, we saw the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks, choose not to play, and then the cancellation of those games. We saw the cancellation of the MLB, NHL uh, games as well. We saw football teams uh, cancel practice, and obviously, we saw Naomi step away from that stage, and she makes that decision. Uh, ultimately, the WTA, the ATP, the Western and Southern Open uh, electing to stand by her and cancel matches for the day as well, but just, again, 
what were those 24 hours like for you to get to see, you know, all to see Naomi make that decision? And obviously, as someone who, you know, the only thing more impressive than Naomi Saka than her tennis game is what she's doing off the tennis court. But just what was it like to be, you know, a part of that moment in tennis history? Um, it was, it was like, I mean, I think Naomi is different that way. And I think, um, I don't know if she does see herself that way, but she is already, you know, a huge role model for a lot of people. And I think it's just doing more than, you know, a lot, a lot, you know, a lot of other players haven't really done that. You know, they, they stay away from politics. They, they, you know, they try to keep it, you know, that image that will bring the most dollars. And I think everyone's kind of getting tired of that. Um, And she's showing that you can make all the money and still be yourself. And, and, and have your beliefs and, you know, fight uh, the system to a certain extent. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it caught us by surprise when she, you know, we got, we got back to the, the house and she, you know, we just had a little team meeting and she said she wasn't going to play. And we're like, I mean, okay. I mean, we're, you know, we supported her on the decision. It's something that neither one of us, uh, you know, can really, has ever experienced. Um, you know, being all of us white or uh, you know, Asian, Japanese. So, um, you know, it's something that it is, it is very important to her. And as is the team, we have to support it. And, and you know, I, if anything, it made me really, like, I already knew she was, you know, that's part, part of the reason I do work for her. Because I think when she wins, um, it is good for everyone, you know, because she kind of shows that you don't really have to be an asshole to, to, to succeed. You don't have to be like, um, you know, go over anyone's head. You just have to be, you know, yourself and you can still be good and still, you know, achieve what you, you want to achieve. So, you know, she's at the highest of her, of her career, of her profession. And at the same time, she is, you know, using her platform for good and you know it can be one of those things where you know a lot of people criticize especially athletes like you should stay like you should just play sports and not talk politics it's like no they're all citizens you know what i mean so you know they had they have their platform for good and it was like you know it was um not necessarily surprising when she said it i was like oh okay yeah makes sense it wasn't like you know oh my god what what it was like, yeah, I mean, I totally, totally understand it. And, and you know, we supported her. And uh, obviously the WTA helped, um, you know, to, with that time, that day off. And she agreed to play it. And, and, you know, I think everything worked out. And they sent the message. And, and obviously with the masks that she wore was, you know, she said in the first round, hey, I, you know, I have one for each each match. Hopefully I'll make it through and, you know, show all the names. And she, she goddamn did it. So <laughs> that's the no, I mean, it was so impressive for Naomi to just, just again, for someone, you know, 22 years old, she made something like $37 million last year, the highest grossing female athlete in uh, women's sports history. And just the fact that she stands for what she believes in. Again, it's to have the confidence in your convictions. It's to do what you think is right in the moment and agree or disagree. I think we can all you know, agree or disagree with her politics, with her beliefs. I think we can all respect someone standing up for the things she believes in. And I just, 
It's just so impressive because, again, for someone so young to use their platform, you use this term, she has already established herself not just as an outstanding uh, tennis player, but an outstanding role model to all of us in the tennis community. And so, uh, yeah, it was just... It was the most impressive thing in the world to see, a, again, the a player step up in that moment. And, you know, uh, part two of this question in regards to we saw, you know, the ATP WTA Western Southern Open stand by her just immediately, uh, which, again, I think we all respect. But, you know, the flip side of that, a few days later, we saw the official formation of the Professional Tennis Players Association. We saw, you know, Djokovic, Pospisil, John Isner uh, all resign immediately from the ATP Player Council, Sam Query event joining them and I want to ask you about that but just to finish off on these Naomi uh, thoughts yeah it's just it's the most impressive thing in the world to see someone who is absolutely comfortable being herself regardless of if it sometimes comes off a little bit awkward or a little bit shy it doesn't matter she she is through and through Naomi Osaka and that shows in her tennis game where she plays to her strengths she you know you're playing on her terms and it's the same thing off the court as well and so again shout out to her uh, who's just a great future champion for the game shout out to you and the entire team for the success you guys had in new york it was so impressive but yeah i mean look you have been outspoken when we first spoke what was this back at the start of 2018 we talked about a lot of things one of them uh you know the player compensation uh the the un, how unbalanced it is you know the players at playing at the top getting paid so much more money than those playing you know the challengers the futures level which is really the backbone of the game obviously this ptpa there's not a lot known about it. There wasn't really a formal platform, and Pospisil and Djokovic have really talked about, well, we wanted to just kind of do this and go from there. We were ready to push for change now, and we just didn't think we could do it within the current institution anymore. Uh, obviously, they've been criticized for many errors they made, such as the fact that there is no clear platform, such as the fact that they obviously, if you're going to call yourself the Professional Tennis Players Association, you know who half the professional tennis players are, uh, it's women, and they didn't have any from the start, and those were two obvious mistakes that they've acknowledged, but you know your thoughts I know you're not uh, as involved as a professional player as you once were but on the formation of the PTPA would you be joining it if you were still playing full-time I mean I have to know more about it to be honest I know very little like I read what I you know what I could see online but um, I I think the criticism they got I, I we decided the woman part the criticism they got was like from people that really didn't understand what they're trying to do. It wasn't like, hey, we're trying to, you know, create a new tour or something. They're not really. They're just trying to, like, what is it? Could you call it a union or something? Um, Association. Yeah, it's an association, but it's like, okay, like, you know, I think the ATP is, an, is a monopoly to a certain, to not to a certain extent. It is an, a, a monopoly, and, you know, I think – you know, not a lot of players have a say in what happened. I think the players have very little to say in what happens on the tour. Anyways, they have to. I think they they need to disclose more of um, you know how much money they're making, the tournaments are making, how you know how can you spread that more into the players? The players are the product. So um, again, I think I think with time it's going to become a positive thing. I think. Djokovic just in general is not having a good 2020 in terms of his image. <laughs> so that that might, you know, be a little problematic. But at the same time, people need to understand, like, having him on it is very important. 
you know what I mean? Obviously, you saw Nadal and Feather quickly, like, oh no, we can't have you know any. We should. It's a time where it should be union, like be, be coming closer and not you know separating ourselves. Whatever it was, he said. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? You're just saying that because you know it makes the ATP happy. Like, shut up. Um, that's like that's the kind of thing again that like I think Rafa and Roger has, have always been so protective of their image that it becomes a little too robotic. You know, it's like you're like shut up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you make tons of money from it, so you don't care. But there's a ton of people who, you know, who should be making more money uh, from disturbance. You don't need to add another million for the winner. Just add the million down low. Add the, yeah. the minute, the, the million to the to the qualifiers, to the first rounds. The first round of Slam should be making 100000 So, yeah. um, you know, it's one of those things, like, I think it's going to be positive on the long run. I'm sure women are going to be added, and I think it's going to be fine. It's just like, I'm very, I don't know much about what they're planning on, but, you know, hopefully they keep the momentum going. Yeah, no, I mean, we've talked about a lot of these things before. To your point, you know, the ATP, WTA, Grand Slams, federations all coming out with a unified statement speaking against the Professional Tennis Players Association. That's the quickest they've ever been unified in anything ever. Like, they have never coordinated anything that fast in the history of tennis as they did speaking out against the PTPA. And it's just like, well, if you spent half that much attention coordinating things for other aspects, we wouldn't be in this scenario. And so... Yeah, I mean, you know, it works both ways, though. There are also people who you're just like, stop complaining about these things. Like, how about you just win a few more matches, and then life will start to get better for you marginally. Like, I think to the larger point, a lot of people, it's right. But sometimes there are people who beat the drum just for the applause, right? There are the people who say the things you're supposed to say that, you know, are 100% approval rating statements on Twitter. Like, you know, the equivalent of this, not, you know, to say like, hey, I I took $2,000, or I, I... that that's not fair. What you know, uh, the equivalent of this would be to be like, man, watch out for Brandon Nakashima. He's going to be a real problem. It's like, really? You think? Like the guy yeah. has won X amount of matches. Trust me, you're not the first person to make that point. And they're just that sort of thing where it's beating on a dead horse. Where it's like, yes, we're all aware of that. And two, again, the the Djokovic Pospisil side. Clearly, the current institution isn't addressing the massive gaps, the massive problems that exist. And there are some who just think it's time to exist outside of that, to put more pressure on the ATP. Because to your point, it's, I say it's the world's shittiest monopoly because like, yes, they have control of everything, but there's also thousands of different entities, whether it be federations, whether it be tournament hosts, whether it be all these different things that all have a say in the decision, which makes making an actual decision impossible. Um, but yeah, it's just it's interesting to see things moving, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think of, I'm, again, I I am of the I, I am of the, the the thought that tennis as a product, as an entertainment product, is getting a little stale. It's like you know we've seen it already, like with the men's without having Fed and Rafa and Novak, it becomes a little bit stale. And then you know if you're having all this like issues with with you know prize money and this and that people are complaining about all these things it can become like it can become a, kind of like a very you know negative environment yeah toxic and, yeah it's kind of a toxic environment i saw it on twitter everyone was arguing about a bunch of different things i was like my god everyone shut the f- up you know what i mean <laughs> it's like no especially the non the non-players i understand the players and all this stuff but the non-players creating all these things that like i mean it's like why why are we you know we're discussing things like this like it's 
it's hard to think because I was a player. I was like, yeah, I would love to, you know, man, if I was like 350, I'm not saying I'm making a lot of money. I'm saying, hey, I'm I'm not going to pay to play. You know what I mean? I'm going to show up and know that I'll make like a certain amount every year and keep giving myself a chance to to play. And I think that the, the tournaments make enough money. Sorry, I was getting a call. Um, the tournaments <laughs> make enough money to, to to pay more. You know what I mean. And I think people need to people just need to to understand that. Hey, like it's time for you know ATP. He's been around since what, like the seventies or something. Um, you know, maybe it's time for you know a new voice or new something. Not that the ATP is going to go away. Just that people are going to um, you know that we are going to go for the ATP two point or the WTA two yeah. or the tennis two Like we need. You need to evolve as a as an entertainment product, and you know, obviously, paying the the players more more fairly. It's just the beginning of it. Yeah, no. NBA has had still... it. NBA has had lockdowns and all that stuff. It's like absolutely. You know what I mean? If it's you're like, becoming, you... you know, if you're staying stagnant, you're becoming worse. You need exactly. to change your product. You need to meet the demands of the current market. I completely agree with you. And look, I I went on this diatribe i'll say this rant on twitter about one of the things that makes me angriest is just like again these easy statements people try and dunk on you on twitter just because because like yeah. I, like I've, I've said this multiple times so i'm sorry listeners but if i have to see one more person try to criticize ben rothenberg who's obviously a friend and so i take it personally yeah. because i'm i'm a i'm team ben but if i see one more person try to criticize ben just to get their like count up like yeah Get the f over yourself. Like, you are not yeah. like, oh my God, you disagree with something Ben said, and you're going to try and make a big point out of it so that m multiple people, the anti Ben crew, those, you know, the huge crew out there that have massive platform envy of him and are just so jealous of that follower count <laughs> that they're going to yeah, rip on any take. It's just so toxic. It's just so unnecessary. And, like, yeah. there needs to be a world. And it's, you know, again, we have these conversations here on the podcast where that world is very, you know, I will listen to any idea. I, I yeah. have thrown some crazy ideas out there myself that deserve criticism. Case in point, I picked Sophia Kennan today as my ace of the day. She lost 0-0. I should be suspended oh, for that probably that. For, for a week. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. But it's just like, I agree to your point. There's a subsection, and I'm not going to call it, there's a specific fan group on Twitter uh, who I'm not going to call out because I don't want to have to go through this and you know it's not like I have this big platform but we're over 1500 followers now at the Great Shot Podcast Twitter account and yeah. that's my Twitter account and so obviously sometimes when I tweet things now it gets a response and I read it sometimes, and, like, if you bring up one player in particular, and I'm not going to say this player's name, I will say there's a certain uh, Florida animal that's associated with his brand, and you're going to see that Florida animal in your notifications, and they're going to say some really mean things about you, about your family, about your opinions, about everything you might have ever said or anything they yeah. had access to about your name on Google. But the yeah. joke's on them because I read it, I take a screenshot, I send it to all of my friends. Someone called me a western imperialist and i was like this is gold i was like yeah. i i might change this to my twitter bio like that's perfect uh, and so yeah it's just like some of these people man yeah i just saw it I'm like yeah i get it like sometimes ben ben says like some over the top stuff and and it, uh, but honestly like sometimes he just says it what everyone's thinking it's like okay yeah. this, this match kind of sucks you know what i mean it's like <laughs> It is what it is, and I get it. It's like, oh yeah, really nice that 
honestly, like to to be fair, some people made some good points too. It's like okay, but it's actually kind of refreshing seeing some guys get tight and actually play that that match tight and like you're like oh my god the tension and all that stuff you're like someone not making it look easy as much as we're used to so it's like mm-hmm. but at the same time yeah kind of sh- to watch like a little bit you know what i mean it's like uh, that match that core chorich and zverev match literally me put me in a bad mood i was in a bad mood <laughs> i was like man i I can't, like i literally i was like dude i have to get out of here like i can't i can't watch this thing anymore so it is what it is, and I think there's like all this like, wait, but you're a reporter, you don't know anything, but like, oh, you were a coach, like you don't know anything because I'm a player, and this and that, and I'm like, oh my god, everyone, get over yourselves, you know what I mean? It's like, let's just like cohabit in a more like peaceful way. Like I get it, like you know more about this and you know more about that, and you can't say anything about this if you're if you weren't a player, if you're not a coach, or if you're this and that. I'm like. Oh my God! Shut up. There's three, four people that we give a fuck about. It's Naomi, it's Serena, it's Djokovic, Federer, it's Nadal. Like that. Those are the people that matter. Like your like opinion. It's like, like, uh, it's just another opinion. You know what I mean? Again, my opinion right now, just another opinion. Don't, don't expect to gain anything from it. You know what I mean? But it's just like, <laughs> I just shut up. It's like, okay, like, yeah, bad match. Well, I guess it is what it is. Yeah. Or you know, it's like not your job to like go on Twitter and like make little petty things. You know what I mean? It's like unless you say, "Hey, like you know, Tiafo has a chance at beating Medvedev," then I'm gonna have to call you out because, <laughs> because that is just an absolutely horrible take. And I'm like, "Nope, you're wrong on this one, bud." <laughs> okay, let's do this now. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was i knew that was good i was like bro that was a take right there you okay the take wasn't first of all let me just point out what i said i took a risk you're absolutely right i was like first of all never let the facts get in the way of a good tweet uh but you know uh <laughs> as i go on this rant at people but you know part one was a i said medvedev is probably going to win this match that was the start of the tweet which just got ignored by everyone who wanted to dunk on me justifiably so now i stand by the fact and i have talked about this with other people who you know there were a lot of people who quietly dm'd me and said Alex, I kind of actually agree with your take, but I'm going to have to dunk on you just to get with the program. And I'm like, no, I understand that. Do what you got to do. It's a layup really? line here. Just, Oh, I had text in the DMs like, I agree with you. He didn't have an obvious weapon to take advantage of the Tiafo forehand. Like, had Tiafo been fit, had he been patient, had he not played 15 sets of tennis the prior three rounds or whatever it was, like maybe he would have had a better shot. At well, the why, same time, I, I just, it was means, incre- like, what is – Tiafo's forehand isn't that good. It's so erratic. No, I no, but I'm saying that's how he loses matches right away, right? If you have the big serve to his forehand, yeah. the plus one ball to his forehand, he loses. Like, it's just tough for him. I didn't think Medvedev was going to do that. I thought he was going to Medvedev it up, play with his food, slice, slice, slice. And eventually, Tiafo is a good enough attacker. He's good enough moving forward that he was going to have chances. And I was like, maybe he steals a set when Medvedev falls asleep at the wheel. That's what I meant more than anything else. Not that I thought he was going to win. At the same time, I was absolutely wrong because the discipline just wasn't there. <laughs> just zero discipline. I was like, bro, no, that's not right. And then two minutes later, it's 5-0 Medvedev. I was like, there it is. <laughs> he just doesn't same have the discipline. Today. 
Yeah, again, yeah. same thing happened today with Kennan. So, look, every so often you're going to throw a stinker out there. But to my to the larger point, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, part of being no. in tennis media, look, we trust the media members, and I suppose I'd like to consider myself one at this point, to tell us what the, you know, to tell us the story, to tell us what's going on, to do it from two perspectives. A, give us the unfiltered facts. B, give yeah. us the analysis of those facts. Now, evi- you know, inevitably, particularly in 21st century journalism, there will be some editorialization. There will be some opinion given to that fact. If I'm talking about Alex Zverev, my, you know, I just happen to think his upside is tremendous. And so that's always going to cloud my judgment because I've seen it and it's just a belief I have through the end. I think of this generation of next geners, despite him losing here, he's going to end up with the most slams. There's just 10 minutes of too many matches where he looks like the best player tennis has ever produced ever. And like, that's going to happen in journalism, and there are going to be takes or causes that journalists believe in passionately. People can yeah. respectfully disagree without name-calling or, you know, again, yeah. if I'm going to say Tiafo's going to beat Medvedev, dunk on me. That deserves yeah. – that's a dunk-on take. But, you know, it's, uh, dunk on me in the fun way like you did or like yeah, Mike exactly. Patient did. So like that was, Yeah, it was from – it was out of love. Yeah. Everyone gets so aggravated. I was like, everyone, like, calm down. Like, someone just said something. It's like, it's just because it's not your opinion doesn't mean it's like, like you have the right to on it. It's like, whatever, yeah. everyone. It's like everyone needs to take a show pill, dude. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's not enough tequila. It's not, a, it's exactly. not, it's not, not enough, enough Casamigos, man. Yeah, exactly. Well, then my last question to you, uh, we'll work in the Casamigos plug, but I need to work in a plug because I mentioned this earlier. You looked just dashing, Carew, uh, on screen so many Thank times. You. How many? I, I wanted to send you so many photos of just when he panned <laughs> the camera on you, and I was like, dude, I can't send him a photo every time it shows him. Like, that's too weird. I did that to another one of my uh, friends on site, and they were like, you got to stop doing this. Um, <laughs> but I was like, no, like, I was like, no, person, because I'm not going to reveal their identity. I was like, no, person, you're on TV. Like, this is cool. It's always cool to be on TV. They're like, no, it's really not. Um, But, you know, for you, the coolest part in, you know, the mustache looked good, although you kept the the beard groomed as well, which I think we all appreciated. But most importantly, you got to rep the Agassi Nike gear. You were part of the team, part of, you know, the Nike squad. Two-part question. A, do they let you keep the gear? B, how cool did you feel in it? Oh my god, they let me keep. Of course, they let me keep the gear. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I have like way too much gear, to be honest. Um, but man, it, it was like I haven't had, I haven't, haven't seen a like a a line that really hit that well, um, in for for a long time. Like this, this was a really, really nice one, and um, I got a few extra like match shirts because I got all the practice things, but not a lot of match shirts. So I got a little a lot more match shirts um i really wanted like the the shopo one i never got the shopo kit <laughs> i thought the shopo kit was dope so uh, cool i but, thought it was the best of the line yeah it was the best one it was he was the only one playing with it how was it that special uh, <laughs> i was like what the hell um but yeah i mean it's it's a great i mean i'm i'm honestly like don't even want to wear it too much i'm gonna wear more of my older stuff <laughs> Because it's, like, too nice. Like, it's too nice. I just don't really want to wear it. Um, so it's, it's, it's really cool. It's, like, I, I, I've gone through, like, because we had, like, laundry machines. So I, I didn't have to, like, you know, wear, wear too many. So I wore a few of them um, and just kept washing. We got some cool, like, off-the-court off stuff. It was dope. The jacket they gave, like, 
it's going to be just like a cool jacket for the rest of my life. It's like just kind of retro. And um, so it's really, really nice, nice gear. I was like actually really, really happy to get this, this line. If, of all the lines, this is the coolest one. I just want to say that answer went exactly how I hoped it went. So, uh, so thank you very much. Yeah, I, everything you said, just uh, right to again. That's why we continue to have you back on the show. Um, yeah, I will say this: there were a lot of interesting U.S. Open lines. The only thing that I am out on, and I'm happy to be back in if they want to come sponsor the show. But there was the all lotto match between J.J. Wolf and whoever he played in his second round, and they were ma- wearing matching red shirts and. Oh. It was just horrible. It was just horrible. There was a time Lotto was cool, but no, I love Lotto, but I don't know. There's something about it right now that is just not hitting the spot. There was a time Ferrer time that like it was like a little Mm -hmm. bit cooler. Now it's like "Mm, okay. I mean, they're still like I mean, at the end of the day, who's ever paying the most rent? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Again, if you uh, just. Uh, let's end there. I'm really happy. Yeah. That went exactly <laughs> how I was hoping to. So, Karu, again, we hopefully will be able to have you on now with more regularity. Uh, oh, Absolutely. I didn't ask you. I do have to throw in one more question because the listener's going to be then text me and be like, how did you not ask him this? Uh, it wasn't a surprise to me. That's why I didn't ask. Does it surprise you that Naomi pulled out of the French? Oh, no. No, not surprised at all. Yeah, right? It's just a lot of tennis on the body. Yeah, it's a lot of tennis in the body. I mean, it's it kind of saw it coming. Yeah, she earned a little vacation period. I think we oh, can yeah. all agree. Yeah, yeah exactly. that was a pretty undefeated through three weeks. You go try yeah. and do that in pro tennis, and then you can take exactly. a week off. You can skip whatever you want. Um, skip yeah, skip whatever no. you want. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I I don't think anyone was surprised by that. But I know they also won't be surprised when they go to MyTennisHQ.com to see the incredible work you guys are doing. You want to give a quick plug of what listeners can expect? Uh, Yeah, I'm actually making working on like a little bit of a video right now. Uh, it should be live tomorrow or Saturday about the, the U.S. Open run and just kind of like not necessarily like the personal stuff, like not the Naomi stuff, but more like you know, things I've learned and things everyone can, can use uh, on their day-to-day routines in tennis. Um, so it's going to be a little bit long, but it should be fun um, working on it right now. And again, just a lot more stuff coming out on YouTube. I'm focusing a lot on that and, um, you know, video instructions, things like that. And obviously my the, the website has a lot of instructional articles. So, you know, make sure you check it out uh, and go, go check it out probably tomorrow, a new video or, or the day after. So, uh, so just definitely take a look at that. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Are you in the Nike gear in the video? Uh, I am in the Nike gear, but uh, <laughs> it's a, it's an older polo. It's not the, this Nike gear. It's a, it's an Australian open gear, yeah. but, but uh, that's all right. it still yeah. does the job. Yeah, it does the job. It's like a nice polo I have. I don't use it as much to. Yeah, I love it. Well, Karu, again, congratulations to you on just being a part of Team Osaka. Uh, Obviously, we look forward to having you back on the show with regularity. And, you know, take it easy. Stay safe. Stay healthy. It's always great to chat. You too, man. Take care. Yep. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.
Hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Carousel. Of course, it's always a pleasure for us here at Cracked Rackets to get the chance to chat with him. And, you know, no one has seen uh, Naomi Osaka's game as up close as he has, or I suppose few people have. So appreciate him, you know, offering his opinions. We're all so excited to see what the ten, next 10 years brings from her on the court and off of it as well. So uh, thank you to Carew. And be sure to go check out his work at mytennishq.com as well. So much valuable content. I know all of you listeners will enjoy. Uh, but of course, all of you are also gearing up for this French Open, and that's where we here at Crack Rackets come in because we want to help keep you the best educated, the most well-informed fans in the business. We're ready to launch our preview content. Of course, the mini break today, uh, focusing on the action in Rome, but moving forward, expect GSPs, expect mini breaks every day, talking about the action we're seeing on the clay, talking about what we expect to happen, unfold at the French Open, things such as our contenders on the men's and women's side, our dark horses, our biggest storylines, breakdowns of the draw, and then, of course, our picks for who we think is going to emerge as champions. You can find all of that by going to our website, CrackedRackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You need a more immediate updates. Find us at CrackedRacket. You want to DM me directly. I'm at GreatShotPod. Of course, please like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, Great Shot, and Inside Out Podcasts as well. We are always so grateful for the feedback we get from you listeners, and we appreciate all of you continuing to listen. Uh, so please, again, thank you for doing so, and you know, share it with your friends. It's the you know we are so grateful. Again, we just want to uh, enjoy all of this tennis as it unfolds, but uh, the reason I am able to do this day in, day out, again, the support we get from our sponsors, so shout out to Midwest Sports and Aerobar, be sure to go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15Aerobar.com, the promo code is CRACKED15, of course, another huge shout out to our super producers, Max Flegner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do as always, and continue to deliver the goods day in, day out, but with that in mind, for my wonderful guest, Caruso, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Crack Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.